I think I barely just made it. Well done. Think, oh, and yeah. there, there goes the dings. We're live. Good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, wherever wherever you're at. I hope that you're more prepared than we are at the moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. I, so... Look, I don't even have my like professional lighting going. Hang on. Uh, we got to do this. That the feels out. Working. That's good. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm on the right mic. Um, after I disabled every other mic on my system after that one time. Um, okay, that's good. These need to potentially turn off. Uh, I don't remember. Is it? That's better, right? This is, yeah, that's more contrasty. Okay, no, I think we're good. Um, oh, hang on. My, my Cameo Cat is trying to get in here and make an appearance. Hi, Cameo Cat. I promised on the Instagram today that we'd have a, a cameo cat, a cat cameo. Uh, okay. Play. Yes, there we go. All right. Seconds in and we have a cat cameo already. Well, that, that'll keep our Instagram followers um, happy. That will keep them happy. Uh, it keeps me happy because if the show's going downhill, I can just, you know, very quickly reach out and pet her and it soothes me. Uh, I was about to say, just be very careful about how you phrase the next five words out your mouth. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Uh, let's see here. So maybe kill that just a little bit. There we go. All right. Yes. Cameo Cat. Does Cameo Cat um, have a name? Cameo Cat does have a name. Her name is Serling. Ah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Your, your mom's in the chat and she just said, hey, Serling. So that'll be one. There we go. Yes, yay, Serling, cameo cat. Uh, so Barry, we um, cool show, cool show topic tonight. Oh no, am I frozen? The, oh, you are frozen. Oh, geez, this hasn't happened in weeks. I was gonna say, I, th I thought we got rid of all your uh, internet beef. You know what? I think it might be my internet. I don't know. We'll we'll see here uh, if it picks back up in a second. Um, there's no change to you. Normally, you get a bit of a, a wobble on your sound quality as well, and you, you haven't got that. So No. Okay. Interesting. So maybe it is just... I don't know. I'm glad we're figuring this out in the pre-show. Uh, <laughs> why we do pre-show. This is why we do pre-show, and we don't just start and go live, because it would be disastrous most of the time. So. Um, okay. It's not getting better. I realize I've been... <laughs> I've been talking about you know, without, without saying hi. So, hi, Linda. How are you? Uh, your, your camera's broken. Yeah, I guess so. Um, give me a minute. I'll reset it. <laughs> uh, let's see if that works. No, probably not. Okay. <clears throat> I really need to uh, rethink how I do this because I have... Um, to pull back the curtain, I have a, a a dock that I you know plug in my everything to, uh, yeah. and oh, now you've gone completely. And uh, oh, am I am I still there? Yeah, you you came back. But I'm back. Yes, okay, back there. You died. Yeah, that I switch between. Um... Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I think maybe might have a lag. Okay, no, I can hear you, and there I am. Oh, there we go. Hello. Um, so, oh, so long. Yes. Oh wow, is there a lag? That's not great. So, huh. 
when you finish hearing me say this, you should say, um, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Oh, there we go. No lag anymore. That's good. No lag. Okay, that's good. You know what's not great is that um, now I am having difficulty hearing myself in my own ears, which uh, is also not good. I can hear you. So that's yes, I know. I can, I can barely hear you uh, is the problem. Um, so I think there's something going on with my headset or something. Or have I done something wrong? No, no, no. It's 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 on my end because I can't hear myself okay. either. Oh, okay. okay. I just needed to redo. Okay. No, we're good. We're good. Okay. <laughs> wow. Funny. All that. Hey, uh, so uh, what I was mentioning was we got a great show. Uh, robots in... Well, it's beyond robots. I'd say it's, it's robots, isn't it? It's uh, No matter what it's in, it's robots that makes it cool. Robots makes it cool, although... It is beyond robots. We're talking about uh, technology in the food industry, really. Yeah, yes. Uh, so, um, yeah, cool topic. It'll be fun. Okay, so we already. Oh, don't do that. We just started, Barry. I know. Like I said, it's been, it's been one of those, I was going to say days, potentially weeks. Months, um, years. <laughs> Let's just keep going back. Where did it really start? You uh, said I'm your therapy. Where did this? Do you tell me about your childhood? Oh no, we don't want to go there. That, I, I, <laughs> I, I, such a boring childhood. So that's not true, actually. But uh, compared to what you expect in therapy, where you get um, you're expected to come out with how you were you're beaten and thrown down coal mines and stuff. Um, uh, I, I didn't have, I didn't have so much of the coal mines of the beating. Well, that's a good thing. Mm, yes. Oh man, get very dirty. Um, right, so that's cool. So fun story for you. Oh, uh, I was sorry. up late last night, um, as you do, uh, writing or not writing, rather organizing the content that we have for Human Factors Minute. So our patrons will appreciate this. Uh, and I was crunching the numbers. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a guess at if we were to write all the topics that we had uh, written out today, how far out in terms of content we'd be? Um, six months. That's a good guess. That okay. is okay. So six months is just under what we have planned. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, so we're planned out until about March of next year. Uh, we usually do these big sweeps of plans that you know encapsulate a year. So we plan a year at a time based on the content that we've identified ahead of time. But that content that we've identified uh, is, is going to take us through, once we've set it in stone, organized everything, is going to take us through June of 2024. Wow. So two years of content, basically. That's pretty good. Uh, that's really good. Mm. I was really happy. And that's before we actually like go through our backlog and look at stuff and say, okay, is this an idea really? Uh, we kind of categorize them into two buckets. We say, is this, do we know what we would write for this thing? Or is this yeah. just a rough idea of something that we need to refine before we actually sit down and write it? And once it gets to that, you know, writing stage, then we can consider that in the plan if you consider the stuff that we have ideas for that we could potentially yeah. put in there then we, we have like 
uh oh i don't know um until 2025 2026 lots of content <laughs> so um it'd be interesting because the um i was doing a bit of promotion to um agonomist in iran the other day uh, this podcast um so i've been doing some bits of work over the past year with them in terms of like it's presentations on uh, ergonomics and that type of thing and then um they've asked me recently to well they asked me about, about a month ago to do a, um, a written interview for their um um student ergonomist magazine and um and i completely as with everything else seems to be happening at the moment um i didn't get that back in time anyway i got that finally finished and sent off yesterday um and so yeah they'll go i'm in a whatsapp group um with iranian students as well which which is fine except they all write in persian and i and whatsapp doesn't do persian to english translation oh. and so the only time i know that they're speaking to me is because they're i mean it just shows how ignorant i am they're very good at writing messages in english to me um or if i put a drop message in there then they all translate it or somebody translates it for them and, and it'll work um, I've got no idea what they're saying for the rest of the time. Um, they could be taught saying very nasty or very nice things about me, and I wouldn't know the difference. Well, hopefully, it's uh, it's very nice things. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to think. Let's see. Well, um, I'm looking at their website now because I just thought of another idea for a human factors minute. <laughs> <laughs> Always on the job. <laughs> Look, like I, I've I've also built a tool so that way we can start capturing them uh, and having them dump into our backlog for refinement. Uh, so that way we treat we treat our human factors minutes like a scrum process. Really. <laughs> yes, I mean we do. It's ideal ideal for agile. It really is. Uh, That's the other thing I, I did this week was review some agile guides and spray check projects. But the yeah, the application of human factors into agile projects, which was interesting um, for all the wrong reasons. We've got one more thing as well, haven't we? What's no, not one more thing. Um, it came from. It came from. Yes, those are good. Uh, if you want to look those over, I meant to. Um... I meant to uh, refine those so that way they read better on the show tonight. Uh, let's see here. This is Iranian Ergonomics and Human Factor Society. Interesting. Um, cool. Um, oh, I'm talking about tools and stuff. I found a new... Um, Social media manager. Oh, what do you use? Hero Post. Um, which, unlike, so it's not too dissimilar to um, Hootsuite and all them sort of things. Okay. Um, but it came up with an offer of, you know, you can lifetime, you know, one of these things, lifetime thing for, you know, I think it was $150, something like that. 50? And, uh, 150? 150. Oh, okay, uh, okay. And so I was like, well, it's, it's not cheap, but it's not massively expensive um so I, I watched a couple of videos on it and all that sort of stuff and actually in terms of being able to schedule and do stuff across platform 
it seems to be really quite nice. Um, you can pull in RSS feeds and get it to publish RSS feeds and, and bits. But I need to have a day because what I want to do is to be able to schedule stuff. So say I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, um, a, a slight um, planning embarrassment uh, with my with my podcast at the moment. And I want to be able to fill some of that gap with previous episodes and or even just filling gaps, you know, like where alternative weeks I can plug an old episode. Um, I want to be able to schedule all that stuff in advance. Um, and it'll allow you to do that. Um, and it also it'll allow you to do analysis of hashtags and for com- combination hashtags and things like that. Um, What's it called? So, Hero Post. Hero Post. Yeah, so if you go to heropost.io. Yeah. yeah. So it's there's elements of it that are clunky. Um, and I, I have, like I said, I need a, probably about half a day to sit down and really bust it out. Um, but on the face of it, it seems okay. So I've got like a bunch of Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts, LinkedIn accounts, and else I've got on here, and I think YouTube. And you can do a publish to all, and it'll work out whether you can publish to them all. I think it could be smoother, but then if you want it to be completely smoother, then you're paying for um, the other ones. Um, Hootsuite and things like that. So that's so interesting that you got it for $150 because I'm looking at this simple, transparent pricing $497 for six months or uh, $997 for one year. Yeah, well, this is why they said they had it as a as a special offer. Oh. Um, let me just, which I got, which I found through Facebook. I shall see if I can send you the link. Uh, oh, lifetime sale. There it is. Yeah, I see. Lifetime okay, sale. it popped up yeah, yeah. right in front. Yeah, I should have seen yeah. that. I clicked out of the modal. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, it might it might have been one hundred eighty dollars or something, but it was around that sort of around that sort of price. So. Yeah. Oh, two hundred, two hundred uh, here in the states. Uh, oh, it wasn't that much. Um, it did charge me charge me in US dollars. Mm. So I wonder if the conversion rate was different then, uh, since our market has been wild this week. Uh, uh, Perhaps. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Wow, yeah, that's a great deal, actually. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's one of these things that if it if it works, then brilliant. Then I think it, I think it, it could be powerful enough for what I use it for. And a whole bunch of the videos I watched were mixtures of people who were, um, you know, content creators, a bit like us. Um, all the way through to um, you know commercial people who do using it for like commercial companies. Yeah, and, um, and nobody, you know, nobody said it was absolutely perfect. No, it wasn't an absolute complete absolute winner. Um, but for the price, good enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, already we're just playing with it a couple of times. Um, I can see something that I would like to change or at least customize, so you can see all the different platforms. It'll do Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. LinkedIn, Pinterest, Telegram, Tumblr, Reddit, um, VK. I know what's VK. VK. Uh, Is that some like social media in? It might be Russian. Oh yeah, could be. Um, I'm going to Google that because I don't know what it is. Uh, European social network. Uh, Russian online social media. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Let, let's let's not use that. Um, <laughs> Uh, YouTube, Google My Business, which is disappearing anyway. So um, Google are taking the the My Business function away. Um, 
but yeah, you can you can. But then once you've got all these groups, you can actually set them up as posting groups. So if you just wanted to set stuff just to, in my case, twelve or two, um, I can do that. Or if I want to send it to my personal business, you know, um, K Sharp stuff, I can do that. Um, but you can watermark. Stuff. Yeah, it, it seems to be there's stuff around it that seems to be quite good. Hmm. Uh, which um, I need I need to uh, I need to play with. We're we're already in deficit spending for the lab, so I can't justify it right now. Although that's a great deal, and maybe that'll come back. I don't know. You let me know. Yeah. Um, I think it will come back. I think it, it's possibly their marketing technique. You know, where they're like, you've only got three days to go, and I'm fairly sure I've seen this off before. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I I'd had you know maybe three or four glasses of wine and decided to um, to spend to spend it without realizing what I'd done, and then the next day I got mm-hmm. my account going. So hero post, what's that then? How do you what do I do? Oh dear, it better be good. It's, uh... Yes, that's the other thing I've been doing today is playing around with with networks. I'm online managing um, my internal networks online um, through app control. Quite clever. Um, only for internet work, geekery. But, um... I'm cleaning up these it came froms to make them snappier. Oh, okay. Uh, so we, by the way, we are now on TikTok. If you are watching us, we are on on the tick of talks TikToks. That thing that is the social media sensation that's hitting the nation. I think it hit quite a while ago, but um, yeah, I know. so I need to find us. <laughs> We're a little late to the TikTok game, but look, like <laughs> we uh. Uh, it's my one more thing this week, so I'm not going to spoil too much. But we've um, got quite a few views on there. Uh, oh, more than more than this. any other platform. Uh, I guess other th- outside of our podcasting uh, analytics, with you know, like these these numbers are. Um, oh yeah, hey Barry Kerber, starting following yeah. you. There it is. Um, yeah, so outside of our podcasting numbers, these are these are kind of where we're breaking through the most in social media. So anyway, I, I'm saying this because we are uh, we're republishing some of our it came froms, um, and so uh, these are pretty great pieces of content. I think for um, that format, they're short yeah, enough, enough. Yeah. but still, uh, and, and we've been doing the news reads too. Yeah, go ahead. I'm fairly sure I um, said that ages ago, and you just didn't believe me. What's just that? Saying... Oh, the, it came from yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I think we talked about it at a lab meeting, um, but I think we just well, never. Recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's see here. Okay. I'm looking here at these. It came from. Uh, for that general. Uh, we're gonna ditch the second half of that question. Make a snap here. Uh, we're a very ambitious project. Uh, all these people worrying about bias. I know. Let's see here. Just, just don't worry about it. Who's? D- I hate correcting grammar on these posts. <laughs> um. Yeah, I had an interesting thing today, yesterday, where 
we've been doing a bit of work and the the client is collect the client the client has done all the data collection we're just doing the we should do the analysis yeah and um one thing we've played around with is um uh word art you know the um word cloud and um i'm like right okay but then what what tool do you use for word clouds um depend sort of depend i'm i'm but playing around with four or five different ones at the moment i've sort of got just a, you almost do just a search on whose who's tools are out there but i'm finding some different ones that are better um than others but i'm not i'm not sold on any one yet um but i hope to be in the next couple of weeks and um, i want one to keep on going back to um because there's one that does some very basic stuff but i think it's quite honest um in what it does some of them i find push too far into the art side of things um rather than giving you a, a decent um uh comparator but the one of the things i was trying to work out this week is if people so the it was an open it was an open question and actually the question itself is kind of irrelevant um but different people were giving slightly different answers and and including spelling mistakes and stuff like that and in this case, the spellings were kind of relevant, but then the the client wanted all the data clean, cleaned up, so mm-hmm. corrected all the spelling. And I was like, "Well, but you've asked for you know you've asked for an open answer and for people to give their own spin on it because you wanted their individuality, and, and then now you're putting them back into a box. Is that the right thing? I'm sure that's what you want. Um, and obviously, they're the client; they choose they choose what they want, and, and that's what we're giving them. But um, it got me got to thinking about it. Was, was it was I doing the right thing? Um, mm, yeah. Which answer was yes, because they paid us. But um, yes, yeah, there you go. But they, in terms of a, um, you know, the de- diving into it, was I representing the data as well as I should have been? So, yeah, interesting question. Um, yeah. I I often yeah, it's like. When you get a bunch of data back, I mean, we can, we'll talk about the specific answer. Like, I, I really want to dig into uh, managing expectations and communication about uh, your role, others' roles in a setting like this, because I think it's really critically important to communicate that stuff. Um, this one's a long one. I can't really. Uh, so you can't really. You can't. Sure. <laughs> it, it needs all the context. Like, I don't know. It does. Uh, Anyway, yeah, no, I think um, it's some fun questions tonight. Mm. We were talking about automation and how I'm automating these show notes now. I found a bug, uh, something that I need to figure out how to fix in the automation, where it won't generate the notes unless we have three it came froms. Oh, right. So, okay. I, mean, so I need to I need to find them up front and and throw them in. Thankfully, you know, I've been kind of keeping tabs on them. Uh, in our, uh, we, we have a tracker that we use. Um, I've been going through and like liking all those. Uh, let's see here, purge after. There we go. That's the command. I think that's the command. There it is. All right. See, and I've made it so that way in Discord now I can I can clear out all the old stuff and you just get this wall of stuff here. Um, Anyway, processes, procedures. Yes, we like them. Continuous improvement. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. 
um, Purge command. Purge command. I, I feel like there's a way to search gifts. Maybe not. Um, what's a good gif to throw in our Discord uh, that says stop? Stop gif. I'm looking for that. Uh, oh. Yeah, you know what? There's one over the cat. Uh, I'm going to take the cat. The stick man with a big stop sign. So there's a Michael Scott one. Stop it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take that one. I'm going to copy image. Throw that one in there. We'll see how that does. If that draws attention to this post, because I did put just in a bunch of lines. Uh, maybe not. Anyway, whatever. All right. What a fail. All right. That's okay. <laughs> we still have the show to go, so we can always fail further. Oh, that's true. Yes. The only way is to beat down. Mm -hmm. so. You know what? Although, if our days have been rough and our expectations are low, can we only fail upwards? That's true. I, I like the possibility. No, it's a question I'm asking. Can we only fail upwards? Because I don't want to... I, I want to set the expectation of, of us uh, potentially failing upward. Not, I don't want to set that expectation. I want to ask. I'm asking a question. Oh, I is, see. is it a fail upwards if we're already at the bottom, or have we uh, discovered more to the bottom? What you mean? Will we just start digging? W will we start digging more and find that we are indeed not at the bedrock? Is I'll tell you about an hour's time. Okay. <laughs> please, please keep me informed. <laughs> oh, another another annoyance is that I meant to get. So I've got my because I moved my mixing desk over to my right hand side because of my desk layout. Mm -hmm. The cable for my headphones now goes underneath my arm, which Ooh. is just slightly irritating. Yeah, and uh, I've been meaning to buy an extension cable um to go out the back of that and go you know so i can fit it under my desk so it comes back out this side and i haven't done that um instead i've been i bought things <laughs> more expensive things than i should have mm -hmm. <sighs> but i shall do that later yeah like like what a, a social media suite is that yeah just like that yes yeah. and a, a new uh manager switch um yeah. my network which i don't actually need um I realized today it's only so I can see it on my phone and see it on the app on my phone and go, Oh, look, I, I, it's on my phone. Isn't it awesome? um. oh, oh boy, all right. I'm okay. I'm cleaning off all the stuff that I don't need up and out uh, to distract me from the show uh, because I have enough distractions elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I started using multiple desktops. Uh, for this, what with the with the Windows thing? With Windows thing, uh, yes. Okay. Does that um, work? Well, so I think what it does is it like compartmentalizes all the stuff that's running in another desktop, and I don't know, shuts it down virtually, but doesn't actually shut down the process, right? So if I look at like my uh, my Google uh, Chrome usage, which has a million different tabs open, yeah. um, it is less right now than it would i mean it's still high it's still very high 
Um, but it's less memory, less CPU than it normally is when right. I have it open in this view than if I were to change desktops. Uh, it's nice because then I can really, um, you know, reduce what I'm looking at um, on screen, which is like, you know, I have my Google Chrome tabs, but they're for the podcast. I got Restream here. I got the notes here. I got, you know, Discord up over here in case we need anything. I have my task list off to the right. So that way I can see what we need to do next. Or really it's the post-show stuff. Um, you know, all the stuff. I've just hovered over my multi-desktop and I've clearly thought about this because I've got one that is called podcasting. Um, mm. And so I've clearly thought about doing it and just not done it. <laughs> See what 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 I end up happening. What, what ends up happening to me is that I get sidetracked with stuff. So I had you know a bunch of uh, random things uh, pop up in chat or whatever today. And what happens is now I'm looking at all these uh, resources up on my tabs, and I'm like, no, the intent was to keep it at a certain number of tabs and only certain tabs. I should go to the other desktop for that. And so it really doesn't work for those interruptions in a workflow. <laughs> All right, uh, it's just about time, Barry. So I think we're going to take a quick 30-second break while this intro plays, um, and uh, we'll be back to talk about robots and stuff in the food industry. Yeah, I think that's let's, that's where we're at. Let's do it. All right, so we'll be right back right after this. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. High energy, high energy. Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome back to Human Factors Cast. This is episode 245. We're recording this live on May 12th, 2022. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I am joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Very high energy, Barry Kirby. Good evening. Very high energy. Perfect. Hey, we got a great show for you all tonight. We're going to be talking about human-robot interaction and really technology in general and how it's going to change the food industry. And later, we're going to answer some questions from the community about combating disinformation through human factors, HCI, UX, all that stuff. We're also going to be talking about preparing for graduate school if you're gaining research experience is not an option and the struggle we all have with scope creep. But first, here's some programming notes. Last week, I messed up the schedule royally, so I made sure that this week it is correct. So upcoming, we have, on the 19th, we have a normal episode for you all. On the 26th, we're going to provide some coverage of EHF. Barry has some wonderful folks who have... Uh, interviewed in is that the, called in to uh 1202 we're going to be sharing some across and we're going to be sitting down talking about that uh and on the 2nd of june we're going to be off and then we'll be back for a normal show back on the 9th of june but barry what's going on with 1202 still summer hiatus what's what's up i've, I've got no idea just, just nothing's happening no in in reality i've been uh with working everything i've been uh snowed under so and i've been lining up some awesome interviews so we've got some awesome interviews coming up um and that'll be we'll be back into a proper schedule again in the next couple of weeks awesome and i'm looking forward to your ehf coverage that's coming soon too Yes, hopefully right. if we. I've, I've got all them interviews. All, they're all done, done now, with the exception of one, which is Amanda. And so we're going to have a specific show on that as well. And we got if we can get this all done right, and 
there's no reason why we shouldn't because we're very competent people. We'll release it all in the same week. So we'll have my stuff go out on the Monday. We'll have this go out on the Thursday. And it'll all be like seamlessly planned amazingness. Seamless podcast synergy. All right. We know why you're all here. You're here for the news. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Yes, this is the part of the show where we talk all about Human Factors news. Barry Kirby, where's the B? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that how we're starting? Okay, so the story this week is from ButcherBots to Robo Burger Flippers. Six ways the food industry is turning uh, to tech in 2022. So restaurants and food suppliers around the world are taking lessons really learned from the pandemic and in many cases adapting them technologies to more permanent solutions. An article by Gizmodo details some of the examples that were used in the pandemic that may have a long-lasting impact. And so I'm just going to quickly go through these six uh, different um, uh, six different technologies. So within food preference cookery itself, Miso Electronics, uh, sorry, Miso Robotics, made a splash during the pandemic with its burger flipping bot, aptly dubbed Flippy, which serves around 300 burgers a day. But also, Miso uh, have come up with another bot called Chippy, which Funny enough, focusing on the preparing of tortilla chips. We also go into robot butchery, where meat processors are investing in autonomous butcher robots capable of deboning and butchering meat. The, the industry reportedly hopes that these autonomous systems could one day reduce workplace injuries associated with the butchery business. The pandemic acted as a real accelerant for these butcher bots, uh, because the journal, the journal that we got this from noted that since the crowded factory floors were a hotbed for COVID-19 transmission. Then we also talk about automatic doorman. And this is looking at uh, the use of facial recognition because that has proved, whilst it's proven contentious, grocery stores and bars and, and them sort of places, in, particularly in the UK, but also in the US, are trying to use the tech to guess their patrons' ages. Online ordering, as we know, was already around before the pandemic, but actually during the pandemic, it surged in online ordering, promoting an uplift in restaurants, developing and enhancing their own apps. As an example, a number of fast food chains are also now using location tracking data to keep tabs on the diners or the couriers in order to have their food ready, ready for pickup just at the right moment. Self-checkout. Um, cashierless self-checkout systems have existed for a number of years in many grocery stores, but also fast food chains like McDonald's for, um, have, have used them now for quite a lot for ordering. But they could see even wider adoption this year, thanks in part to the pandemic habits and, and tight labour markets. And finally, something that has really um, exploded um, over here in the West is QR codes. They've been used as replacements for physical menus or um, or for, for direct line for diners to order their meals. Last year, it saw a 750% increase in downloads over the span of 18 months. It's believed companies using QR codes could potentially save between 30 and 50% on labor costs alone by reducing their number of servers. So, Nick, that's a very quick overview. What's your thought on the rise of the uh, the robot chefs? Yeah, so a couple thoughts here. One, robot o overlords, body, body, blah. Uh, second thought was uh, looking for thumbnails this week was uh, made me very hungry. Obviously looking for a lot of food. Uh, and the third question, or I guess the third real, first real point I had, <laughs> third point here, is where's the human factors? And I, I made the joke at the top, where's the behith? It's a visual gag because on the little ticker we have, where's the BHF? Anyway, I feel like I had to explain that joke. So it's not really a joke anymore because I had to explain it. But here's the thing is when you look at the story at face value, you're like, okay, cool. Technology in food industry. 
I mean, what human factors wear, but we got a great breakdown for you of exactly where this touches human factors. We're going to try something a little bit different in terms of the format tonight. Um, but from a societal perspective, anytime there's new technologies, I feel like there's going to be a large pushback from some folks. And we can talk a little bit about that in society and culture. But Barry, I, before we move on, I want to get your initial thoughts on this article. Yeah, I mean, obviously around technology and any sort of geekery, then, I, then I'm down with this. That This sort of thing is really cool, and I love seeing it in action. But when you look at that wider thing, um, so I'm going to start pushing back right from the beginning um, to a certain extent, because we sort of got to think about this in terms of, you know, are we, are we going to start losing artisan skills because of the, uh, you know, within the restaurant business, within, uh, within, that, within that type of thing? Are we just going to fundamentally... Um, forget how to cook, how to do some of this basic stuff in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, if we're talking about going out and having that restaurant experience, well, where's the humanity? Is it all just about getting that burger as quickly as you can in a fast food chain? Or do you want that broader experience of of having somebody creating your food, being presented with the food and you know that, that type of thing? Um, but then we do get into that whole bigger cultural bit about jobs of the future. Every time we, that is that constant pushback of whenever we get a level of automation, that's taken away somebody's job, apparently. Now, the there is that wider discussion around, well, actually, do, are, they, are jobs just becoming different? Um, but fundamentally, it, it, that is something that we are going to have to think about. It does lead you into conversations around things like universal ba basic income, what is the future of the workplace, and things like that. But that might be going a bit far for tonight. Um, so do we want to go into our newly polished, a new way of analyzing um, these stories and and, and bust out the human factors domains. Yeah, let's let's talk about human factors domains because what we've done traditionally is, well, I guess we used to kind of have this approach, but then somewhere in the episode 200s, we kind of got to this approach of like, let's focus down a really specific rabbit hole, give some really interesting backstory about a specific aspect of a story and then talk about it through the lens of the story. But I think really tonight, there's just so much interesting stuff here that we wanted to try it a different way. So we're going to take a look at these through various human factors domains and really kind of focus on that and really how it all impacts this story here in technology and food industry. And so the first thing we can kind of start with here is the obvious human AI robot teaming. There's going to be a lot going on here between the human actor and the robot actor in this space, especially when we talk about the technologies that focus on robots here, right? There's other technologies. You mentioned QR codes. You mentioned self-checkout. I'm talking about HRI right now. There's things that we have to consider, like where does the handoff occur from, you know, a, a, a human operator to a robot operator? If you think about like the butchering example, the robot butcher, uh, well, how, you know, when, when it's done, does the robot hand it over to you? Does it put it down? And then you pick it up as an, as a human, uh, wh where's that transfer? Um, and how do you make sure that it's done safely? We'll talk about safety separately, but thinking about that handoff, where does it occur? Uh, burger flippers, same thing. Do they set the burgers aside for you to sort of, uh, put them on a bun? You know, do you have an assembly maker then at that point, uh, a sandwich artist, and then, you know, it's kind of like all that stuff. And then, of course, there's the seminal trust in the robot's ability to do their job. Does the human trust a robot butcher with a knife uh, that they will not cleave them and, and hurt them? 
We can talk about safety later too. So there's a lot of things going on here just from a high level human AI robot teaming perspective. Barry, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it, that's this is going to be one of the key bits because normally when you go to um, like to a restaurant, it, it goes back to kind of what we're saying around: Do you are you just wanting fast food thrown out at you? So you're going through your, um, your through your burger joint, and actually it's just an assembly of um, of ingredients. It's wrapped and then presented to you. That probably would be fine. I don't know as a, as a gut feel that would be fine. That would be kind of what we would expect. Um, but then if you're going to like say quite a posh restaurant. Um, you could sort of see the, you know, some of the cooking being done in the back by some some level of automation. You've got chefs there, you've got automated, um, so you've got robot chefs doing their thing. How would they all work together as a team? Because you know, chef, um, restaurant kitchens get very busy, very hectic. How would all that work? But then is there another another element there? Because there's there's this rise in the restaurants that um, you know you have a chef out the front, don't you? Where they're doing fancy knife work, they're doing. Um, showing how they can f- cut meat up in different ways and cut the vegetables very fast. Is there going to be an element there where you have the robot in the almost the center of the room um, and it being used almost as, as a display performance piece, cooking all that food um, and and then, you know, delivering out to people? How how do we make all that work? And um, is that the sort of thing we, we want to be seeing? So... I think how we how we engage with them is going to be a, a key element in all of this. Yeah, I agree. Take it take it to personnel. Right. So picking up the personnel piece is really about how is this going to involve involve people and, and affect people. So on the positive side, we've already talked about um I think these are gonna have um things like sharp things, we're talking about hot things, we're gonna have the opportunities for, for being cut for uh, for burns, you know, what you do normally in, in, in a kitchen or a or a foodstuffs environment. Um it was already said that you know the the but the 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 meat processing um places were were rife for um for infection um or um, transmitting infection. So having something like uh like this approach actually reduces um risk for people. It keeps people safer in a hazardous environment if everything goes to plan. It also reduces the number of people, if you look at a, a staffing side of things, reduces the number of people that a business needs to run. If you want a, a niche business or something like say like a burger joint, that type of thing, if you can get a lot more automated things, then you've got more of a chance of running a business and keeping your overhead low because you're running uh, you're, you're running with all this machinery. Um, as we've all, as I've kind of said a number of times now, you know, in terms of, that fast food bit, then that will probably fulfill the requirement of the people who are getting that sort of food. It will get that food quickly. It will be to the right sort of standard when we'll talk about sort of the engineering design of it later on. Um, and But then we look at sort of like, as, as mentioned, does that fit what we have in terms of standard restaurant? Um, does that does that fulfill an experience? Which then leads you into then that idea of um, what is the what what is that cultural thing around going out for a meal? What is it we expect from that? What what is the social script around that? Um, is there anything you want to bring in yeah. on, on the personnel side? Yeah, a little bit about social scripts, right? We have this kind of expectation as a society that we walk into a restaurant. I'm talking sit down here, and we sit down. We look at the menu that is handed to us, which we'll talk a little bit about in a minute here. Uh, but like you know, from the QR code side, you it took me a minute to kind of. Uh, get used to the QR codes. I've expected to be handed a menu. My script, my social script of understanding what happens when you sit in a restaurant is already sort of getting uh, the perception of that is changing. And so what happens then when you have 
yes, more and more technology, more and more automation. Do you sort of stand in line at maybe a fast food restaurant, realize there's no cashier and you have to go to a self-service kiosk? How long do you wait there before that is understood? How long do you sit at a table before you realize that, uh, that these menus are not being handed to you? There's changes that we will have to make as a culture, as a society. We can talk about society and culture later about how we perceive these things. And so it's not just the people in the restaurant that are working there, but also the folks that are coming there as patrons. So let's talk a little bit about the way these places are set up, environmental design, right? I, I mentioned how long will you have to wait before you realize you have to go to self-checkout. You have to do a self-checkout for your food. Uh, well, there's there's designing the spaces. You have to do some consideration around designing spaces for that self-checkout experience, right? Do you make it front and center? You do put it up against the register where the person traditionally was. So you still have an expectation of going up to the counter, pressing your buttons, getting your food. But it, it, so it's in the same place, just different way to interact with it. That's something we have to think about, right? If we put these robots like burger flippers, chip makers, meat choppers in the kitchen, we have to think about how that space is also designed as well. You know, in fast food places, those kitchens can be quite tiny. And so you have to really think hard about the way the robot is interacting with the things that it's doing. You know, does the burger flipper sit above the, the grill or does it sit in front of it, obscuring kind of a walkway for others to kind of walk through? So that's something that you have to consider. You also think about in the future, right? This wasn't mentioned in the article, but I can imagine a world where we have delivery robots. So now instead of waiters and waitresses, we have delivery robots putting your food on your table for you. You have to design a space that is not only conducive to having a robot move through that environment, but also make it so that way they can quickly duck out of the way in case a, a human is coming and also you have to consider whether or not that robot is you know, handling food uh, or any other delicate, let's say delicate uh, objects on board, right? So just thinking about all this stuff, there's also the issue of making these robots visible in the environment. It's going to be an entirely different way to interact with these things that are not there now, right? We're changing mm -hmm. those social scripts. We have to think about making those robots vis visible, but also that could be aesthetically unpleasing, right? You have a bright yellow uh, safety vest, yellow safety vest, orange robot in this restaurant. Does it mess with the sort of environment? And what does that do for your experience? There's a lot to consider when it comes to environmental design. Barry, passing it back over to you. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that is done already. And we can take what, what's going to be really cool about this is just taking that innovation to move in. So you know, self-checkout, you know, we, we, there's famous burger joints that do that already, um, that I now use on a fairly regular basis. It took what, a couple of sessions to going into that restaurant before you're like, actually, you know, that's the way it's done. Would you want the same, would you be happy with that same sort of experience in, in something a bit more high end? Again, that goes back to that social script. Right. Um, but this design of the kitchens, I think is really interesting because it's, I, if we're going to get it right, going back to the human a, um, AI robot teaming piece, we can't just design the robot to fit in around the human or the human to fit in around the robot. It's We've got to get into this co-design piece and, and make sure that we're making the best of both worlds um, and basically using the right, the right, almost the right tool for the right job um, and, and making that that way, which is at the moment we do sort of have a bit of an attitude of, well, the robot's there, therefore the human has to move around it and, and be aware of it. There's, 
with the development of what we do now, there's a there's a lot more potential around good co-design. Um, co um, so I'm going to then go into the performance and training side of things. So really what we should be having here, these um, these the robots and things should give you a high level of performance. And but we that has to come with a low training burden because we're not going to have experts around all the time to be able to manage and you know with these robots if they're well designed they're if they're well engineered they shouldn't have a a high maintenance or a, a high breakdown threshold um, so we should be able to go into the um, the the training element should be low we have phones now that are very very complicated nobody ever reads an instruction book for them anymore and we're going to have to get there with that however when it does go wrong. It's a bit like we have spoken about this in terms of, uh, you know, um, using autonomous vehicles. What happens when that goes down? You need to then step up to an alternative. So what is going to what's going to be that backup? And therefore, how are you going to train your staff to deal with that type of thing? Um, and then we so with that, that training element, we do need to train the operators to interact with the new technologies. And it's not just the uh, not just the employees, but how are the public expected? to go into a place and know what, how much time are we going to give them? How much, um, how much, you know, cause there's gonna to have to be an element of promotion and, and thing around, look, we've got a new way of interacting. How long does that go on for? I think there's, um, there is enough precedent precedent out there, but I do remember going to a, um, a restaurant a number of years ago and they tried to pioneer something along the remote side, but all it was was a speaker and microphone in the center of the table. Now, as soon as we uh, we went in, I managed to put a newspaper over the centre of the table. I had no idea um, that I was meant to interact with this thing in that way because it was hidden to me straight away because I I hidden it by accident. Uh, we need to make sure that um, that it's it's well highlighted until it gets properly embedded as a uh, um, as a true activity. So, is there anything you want to bring in here on performance and training? No, I think I think you kind of hit it there. You know the the way in which we introduce this technology into the food industry is going to be critical, right? One time I went into a restaurant and there's this little tablet looking thing on the edge of the table that you can then pay for your meal at. And, you know, the first time I was like, oh man, that was, uh, that was, this is a new thing. What, what does it do? Right. So there's like this element of discovery. Um, and when you think about training personnel in the environment itself, or, or, or sorry, the employees, that makes sense. But then you have to make things sort of usable. We'll talk about usability a little bit later. Talk about um, sort of making things intuitive and usable for the people who you can't give training to necessarily. So let's uh, jump in a little bit to sort of these communications privacy concerns. I mentioned, how do you communicate these changes? That is something, uh, especially when it's from the orderer's perspective, you can't train them, right? It's a question. Um, and, and you know, I mentioned the story earlier. Barry, did you get used to QR codes uh, or menus quickly when they started introducing them? Because I, I didn't. I sat at a table for a while. I was expecting, you know, the wait, waiter waitress to give me uh, a physical copy. No, I, I was, it was, a, uh, and it still is now the whole using QR codes is I just find it is a bit non-intuitive to a certain extent un unless it's well advertised un unless it's out there i still see it as a as an addition it, it doesn't still feel like a like a main process yet right yeah i feel i feel like that is going to be something that's interesting to look at we also have to look at sort of these privacy concerns when you look at data collected on people 
um, is that being communicated, right? Are your button presses on those little kiosks on the side being communicated to uh, the patrons that that data is being collected? I think there's kind of a mutual understanding, but then there's some of the other technologies going on that it's maybe less obvious where you have that facial recognition. Are there any, is there anything in the environment that lets you know that you are being uh, monitored via, you know, like there's the, the little uh, signs that say this area is monitored by CCTV. Um, is there anything that communicates that your face is being analyzed by AI against a database? All that stuff. It's things that we need to think about. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, let's, any, any thoughts on communication, privacy concerns? No, I mean, I think you got it, got most of it nailed. I think it is going to be really key, certainly in the um, early adopter phase. If you look at the, uh, the the innovation curve, that early bit of uh, of getting people on board, it, it, the communication is going to be absolutely key. If we go into system safety and uh, and health hazards, the I mean, a lot of this is is kind of fairly obvious. You know, from you know, kitchen should be kept clean. They should be kept sanitary. Um, the, um, the 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 food should be cooked to the right temperature for what it is, et cetera, et cetera. And all of this would still absolutely apply. Um, the, you know, it just needs to apply to um, the, the automation as much as it does the, the people. It is also about keeping operators safe. You mentioned earlier about, you know, how does the, how does the automated, the robot or whatever it is work in the kitchen and how do we make sure people keep safe? Um, then there's the good design stuff around isolation, emergency stops, but robot wielding knives, you know, any good movie that anybody's watched, that's something to be um, to be aware of, shall we say. Um, but robots move. You know, if we if we're doing it right, then robots move. We we'll, we would expect them to either move or traverse around the kitchen doing deliveries, as you mentioned earlier. That's all stuff that we need to um, need to think about. Now, I don't I don't want to make it sound like I'm just saying you know safety needs to be done. Um, it's obvious. It kind of is, but I don't think it's actually vastly different to the sort of things we should be thinking about already. We've just got a different factor in there. Do you think I'm being a bit blasé about that, or do you think there's more to consider? No, I think you're right. I think, you know, the more we kind of keep these environments in check, right, we kind of talked a little bit about it in environmental design, but really those those environmental factors as well as safety play in hand in hand together. And I think the more we can think about where the human is at in any sort of one given moment, right? Whether they're walking to the restroom and potentially running into a robot in the hallway there, whether you are in the kitchen with a knife wheeling robot there, is it, you know, are, are you, is that behind a cage that they then, you know, throw it over to you between a thing? It, it all kind of, um, that those are considerations that we need to make from that perspective. And so, I think you're absolutely right. Hit the nail on the head. Let's talk a little bit about usability, system evaluation, accessibility, because I think these are pretty big topics here, especially um, when you consider just in general, the usability of these online ordering apps, right? You're thinking about people at home. Um, there's some interesting things going on with the, with those. Uh, that's Again, not a technology that we talked about in the main story, but something that we need to consider because um, those things are almost nefariously designed in order to get you to buy more, like having uh, exclusive discounts on some of these things. And so the whole usability aspect of those online ordering um, decision-making systems, right? You know, how do you 
how do you help me make a decision about what I want? Everything looks the same. Um, <laughs> the usability of self-checkout. We need to look at that stuff, right? So how, again, how easily is it placed in the environment for others to understand where it's at? Um, or really how, how long before it times out after a user stops pressing it? So how long does the next person have to wait if the person just ahead of them gets frustrated and leaves? How do you communicate what's in your cart? All this stuff. So there's a lot of different things that we have to think about from that side of it. Now, I want to bring up a point from the chat here. A uh, question about AI potentially helping with accessibility, both for patrons and employees. This is by Buddha of Light. Uh, and so uh, on our Twitch, I want to bring this up because this is a really important point from accessibility perspective. Um, when you think about sort of making these things accessible, you need to consider everyone in your design, really. You need to think about the people who may not be able to pull out a phone um, or, or be able to understand some of the social cues around needing to interact with a QR code or... Um, you know, even from uh, uh, the perspective of an employee uh, uh, that is potentially um, unable to work with robots in a in a in a manner that is cooperative, those are things that we need to consider as well. Barry, I want to pass it over to you. Any thoughts here? It's interesting, isn't it? Because the I guess that there's one element around the use of AI to help with that with accessibility of itself. So. Are we going to be able to use AI to help patrons access the service or the products that we are going to deliver? So does that mean we can actually step back and be less prescriptive around how we order? So you could actually just be turning around and saying, I want some food. And and it understands uh, maybe more about you and can do, help you derive what it is that you actually want if you can't communicate in a, in a more obvious way. Also, it, when you're looking at it from a um, an employee perspective, would it shape because we we're already seeing it um if you can't engage or use the technology does that mean you're just not employable um is this going to have that sort of social social impact um or is it going to help us with people who are um you know maybe allow us to employ people who are more neurodiverse or with physical disabilities or or whatever within the kitchens and actually use what they use their, their skills to their most potential because they're supported by AI and by technology. Um, it's it's an interesting one about, it could go either way, I think, um, depending on, on going back to the, you know, the social constructs and what the drivers are within within that society. Um, right. Yeah, well, I, th I think we could spend like almost like another episode just, just talking <laughs> about this specific issue. We could, you know, one last, what, or not last point, but one more point that, you know, you could think about too is designing for those who are wheelchair bound. Um, and so thinking about the height of uh, some of these self-checkout systems, do you design something that's universal for, uh, you know, teenagers and um, folks in wheelchairs to be able to access these? Or do you have an ADA compliant wheelchair uh, or sorry, not wheelchair, ADA compliant self-checkout system that is at a different height for those uh, who are unable to reach it? at the, the other quote unquote standard height, right? So there's other things that we can think about here and you're absolutely right. We could break this down in a whole separate uh, breakdown, but I, I wanna hear a little bit more about engineering, Barry. You wanna jump oh, into okay. that? 
I'll take engineering. Absolutely. The, um, I mean, the engineering, this is going to be really interesting. I think a lot of it, we probably already understand from um, doing that translation from different areas that use things like robotics and that already, but it's around making sure the engineering standard is up there and the systems engineer is there to make sure that they work, you know, that 99% of the time, because the maintenance here is, um, is going to cost money. Um, the the hospitality industry is it works on largely I think believe fairly thin margins given but and a lot of repetition, so anything that you're doing with this it needs to be be a high level of of um, uptime, but any maintenance that do, that needs to be done regular maintenance then that needs to be um, easy to do. Again, we've talked about how to train people and all that sort of stuff. Then um, that needs to be uh, really good because if you if the maintenance is difficult, it'll get skipped, and that means that you're into more downtimes. But then you do need to step into what happens when they do fail. Um, how do they fail safe? How do they fail um, in a way that a user um, or a human operator can then go and step in, um, um, in and and either com complete what was going on or gracefully degrade the service of the overall uh, overall establishment. And we've talked about similar things to this again with the auto autonomous vehicles and how they come out of auto drive. And there were some really good papers done on the in the recent ergonomics uh, conference around, around this very topic. And then the other bit is, it's obviously gonna be highly sanitized. And I guess we can draw some um, parallels here to like the health industry as well as uh, other bits and bobs, but you have some very high end engineering things, but they need to be able to work in a way that is very clean um because of the because of you know the, the obvious so that's a really high level sketch through engineering but i think there's a there's a whole lot of stuff there that needs to play have you got any thoughts on that or do you want to crack on yeah let's just go ahead and get in we're running short on time i want to make sure we have enough time to talk about the social organizational societal real impacts here because for me there's the question of how will society perceive these uh, incremental improvements, right? If they happen over time slowly, I don't think there's there's going to be some pushback, but it won't be as big as if we make all these sweeping changes at once. Now, the article in Gizmodo is suggesting that these will all take place in 2022. I don't know if all of them will see the light of day in 2022, but these technologies exist. And when we use them in tandem, we have to think about what the interaction effects between them are for really understanding how people will see this. Well, you mentioned, you know, at the top, is this the sort of beginning of the end for discussions about UBI or uh, jobs in general? How do they change over time? I think this is a really important question to ask. And my sort of takeaway question for the motivations for implementing these technology, or really any technology, is What's the motivation behind it? Is it to reduce cost for the patrons, for the people who are buying the hamburgers, or is it to ultimately increase the profit for the C-suite? And I, uh, cynical me says, you know, increase profit for C-suite, but you did bring up the good example of having these technologies available reduces the number of overhead and therefore could make it more accessible to those who wanted to start their own business because they don't need to hire as many people. They can just buy these robots and call it done. And so... Does it then further serve democratization of the food industry? Can more people get into this field because the technology makes it available? Uh, I don't know. These are just high-level questions. Barry, I want to hear about your thoughts and opinions on the societal organizational changes here. 
I think this is going to be a bit of a game changer, if I'm honest, The in the way that we think about technology and technology adoption, because in some of the other bits, if you're working in the factory realms, if you're working in, auto, in um, you know, manufacturer and things like that, you've seen robots around now for quite a while. Um, if you work in warehousing and, and logistics, you've seen robots and, and automation now for, for quite a while. But it's always kind of a arm's length. It's at work or it's on the road. It's in the air but it actually doesn't affect you sort of on a day-to-day -day basis that's really in your face. This will put it in your face. Um, actually, quite literally, if they get the programming wrong. Um, but it will be, you know, you'll take that, um, the food will could be delivered to you completely autom automated. Um, and, and, you know, what what will that do to us as a, as a society? The, um, the This sector is, is, I believe, the, the biggest employer um, throughout the world. You know, in in the hospitality sector, this will um, not only um, it could make it safer, it could make it more efficient, but it could also put more people on the um, on the dole queue, and you know, in, in the in the in, in the job centre. So, what is it going to do? And I think it it will be really interesting to see how it evolves. I think it could be really good. I think you know, I think it could reduce costs for patrons. I think it could increase profit. Neither of them are a bad thing as long as we do it in the right way, um, and we we. Uh, we we make it go forward. So, yeah, I think it's going to be quite um, quite interesting, and I'm I'm quite looking forward to it. Have you got any sort of? You mentioned the time. Have you got any sort of final thoughts on the um, on the overall article, or anything else we should be considering? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the society and organizational all those points really could be tied up into its own discussion, its own episode, its own separate podcast series whatever I, there's just so much to think about with introducing new technology and i you know there's a interesting comment on the article uh on the website itself it was a comment on remote cashiers and sort of a it's almost like a medium or a midpoint between introducing like self checkout technology outright and slowly transitioning into that uh adoption of technology where maybe you have remote cashiers um, where, you know, cashiers sitting at home at their computer and they're still cashiering, but they are presented on a video screen inside the restaurant, right? That might be one way to sort of drive adoption of, of, of these technologies from that societal view. When you think about how many places this could touch, that would be a lot, a lot more palatable for, you know, the, the, those screaming, it, they took our jobs. And then it would also be more palatable for those patrons coming into the restaurant saying, I don't know what to do here. Can somebody help me? Um, and so it's an interesting point. I wanted to bring that up because the speed at which we adopt technology is also a critical factor for adoption of that technology. Barry, what about you? Any, any sort of last loose rounds on this? Yeah, I guess just one final thought for me around you know, let's talk about the human factors of stuff in, in this. And um, there's been a recent review of human factors in around food safety in Ireland. And and actually their research showed that there's 86 closures, uh, closure orders in Ireland. So that's 86 establishments that are, are dealt, are told to close every year due to human factors related issues, largely down to risk management of cooking and of storage. So clearly automation, robotics, and that can play a lot a large part in stopping a number of them them closures um because of like the use of technologies to do the appropriate sensing the appropriate measures and the you know putting in um that, that level of situational awareness that um the, the 
uh, appropriate decisions can be made in a timely manner. So just just as a, a food for thought, there is definitely loads of scope there for, for human factors in all of this. Food for thought. Was that a pun I heard? All right. Well, no, thank you. Right. <laughs> thank you to our patrons this week and not our Twitter followers, because actually they disagreed when our patrons actually outweighed them. For selecting our topic this week, thank you to our friends over to, at Gizmodo for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles on our weekly roundups on our blog as we find them. Uh, you can also join us in our Discord for more discussion on these stories and much, much more. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons. We especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff, Michelle Tripp. Uh, thank you so much for all your support. Uh, hey, we have a website. Uh, our our uh, accountant says to plug the website. I don't. We don't get any money from the website. Uh, I don't know why they're asking us to plug it. Anyway, there's all sorts of fun stuff over there on our website. I don't know if you know this, but we have detailed show notes, including links to any of the guests that were on this week. Uh, there's embedded YouTube videos on those uh, episodes, so you can see, once again, how handsome Mr. Barry Kirby is. If you're regularly an audio listener, maybe check that out every once in a while. There's also our news roundups. I mentioned that. That's where we sort of uh, get all of our news and put it all into one place for you. We have those weekly and a monthly roundup. Uh, we also post those kind of all over the internet. So follow us on social for that as well. Um, if we ever do have guests on the show, we always have more information on those. There's ways that you can submit your own news story. Uh, so if you're a researcher that you want to be featured on the show, let us know. Uh, there's a link in the description of this episode or on our website. You can do it there. Um, you can also search on our website. And I think that's one of the most powerful things our website offers is search. So you can actually look through all of our episodes, all of our news recaps, all of our deep dives, all of our Human Factors Minute content. See if there's a topic uh, on the thing that you're searching for. And of course, there's always our conference coverage. We're always trying to put out more content in different types of ways. In fact, that is the goal of our digital media lab. So if it's been a minute since you've checked out our website, please go take a look at humanfactorscast.media or we stole the domain humanfactorspodcast.com. Barry is still salty about it. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show? It came from. It came from. Yes, this is the part of the show we like to call It Came From. This is where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. And no matter where you're watching, if you find these answers useful, give us a like to help other people find this content. That uh, virality kind of helps. Anyway, we have three up tonight. This first one here is from uh, this is from the last milk bender on the user experience subreddit. They say, how much do you think UX or HCI 
can help in combating disinformation spread and extremely polarized communities in digital platforms. I'm going to write, I'm just frustrated with the political turmoil in my country built on Facebook and TikTok's disinformation spread. Barry, we are now on TikTok helping with that disinformation spread. What do you think? How can human factors help? I think everybody should go to the Human Factors Cast account on TikTok and um, and just go and do, experiment with it and just just see what you think. Um, I think so th there's two elements to this. So the biggest way of spreading disinformation largely is um, is through bots, and so that's where people have, have created fake, effectively fake or automated accounts to um, push forward a, um, a, an agenda or, or, or certain words or to to give them give themselves more influence. So if we could allow people to see which, you know, from an HCI perspective, which accounts are bots and which accounts are real verified people, um, then then that would be a really, really good thing. Or just get rid of the bots completely. That would also be helpful. Um, but some people use good bots in, uh, some use bots in a good way. It's only, the, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a sticky one. But if you knew which accounts were um, bots and which were, which were real, that would help. The other side to this is we talk about, you know, that we we've have extremely polarized communities and things like that. That's people. That's the idea that actually people do have a broad variety of views. And you could argue that actually historically um, we've just never heard them before because our only way of, of listening to them has been through what we've read in the in the press, in the printed or in the uh, in the visual media. Well, now that we have all of these networks, all of these channels, all of these abilities, you know, even for, like, for the likes of us to uh, promote and, and spread the good word about human factors, um, we have that ability. With no, you know, we we don't go through any um, quality checking or anything like that. We we just come on and ramble about what we like to talk about. Um, everybody's now got that opportunity to to become um, a, a content creator. So. We might not like it, but actually, I think it's one of these things that's been there for a long time. And it's actually what we need to understand in terms of we have to become better at influencing people about getting across our point and and having grown up discussions around what we think and why we think them and become better at persuading um, and not just demanding that people think in the same way as we do. I think it's it's scary for many people because we not many people realize that I think that maybe their neighbors had. The views that they had and and this is almost an i don't want to be as it's almost like an age of enlightenment of people can have have their views um the downside of this is people can have their views without ramification as well um so we lose a lot of that social structure but i think that will probably be um, an entire entirely different episode what do you think nick do you think um there's easy ways of doing this uh, yes. So let's actually break down what's happening here with disinformation spread um, and these polarized communities. What's happening is that these social media platforms are built on outrage. They they are built on engagement. And the things that drive engagement are things that are outrageous. Us here at Human Factors Cast, we don't really do anything outrageous. And therefore, our stuff isn't surfaced in other ways like I don't know, things from Fox News that are very <laughs> highly uh, outrageous in a lot of ways sometimes. And so when you have these situations where you content creators put out content and um, then it is engaged on at a rate that's higher than everything else, those algorithms behind the scenes say, oh, this is therefore more worthy content. More people engage with it. It gets promoted. It's a cycle. 
right? Then you have sort of uh, so so from a human factors perspective behind the scenes, what we can do is give d- democratize the algorithm itself in what we value as a society, as a, as a culture, as a digital culture to um, highlight importance on, right? If we, if enough people flag it as inappropriate or enough people give us a thumbs down button, if things that, you know, are unacceptable to society, then maybe it'll be surfaced less. It is engagement, but maybe weigh that engagement against how much people dislike the thing um, and, and hide it for the greater good. There's also the consideration of sort of the controls on the user perspective, right? I already mentioned giving controls about uh, thumbs down, that type of thing. But then there's also sort of really how we, uh, with respect to the communities, right? So how we engage with those communities. We are surfaced a piece of content that looks at maybe an obscure topic, but they choose the things that are sort of semi-believable. It's kind of like a gateway drug, if you will, to these uh, communities that are often damaging um, to society. And so it's it's usually not the people that you think that go into these society. I think I'm like QAnon here, right? Uh, and I, I think I might get flagged with that term, but it's important to talk about. So if you think about Q supporters, right, they are often fed something that has a uh, some sort of level of credibility uh, or or sort of what if, right? And and then they engage with it and then it puts them further into a certain category. And then these algorithms are feeding the people this content without them even realizing that they have now created a bubble for themselves. And so what you'll see, I don't think people are that polarized in reality. I think what happens is that these digital media platforms are pushing society into these bubbles, which drive the most engagement. And so really it all comes down to, can we rate these sources as a society and say, yes, this is credible. This is not credible. The research done here is sound research. The research said by these guys is, is just stuff that they babbled on a podcast. Are we an authoritative source for this? You know, and I, I I understand that us in that algorithm would be deprioritized to other things like scientific journals. The importance is that with things like science and and communication, we have to be able to marry those two concepts because the better we can communicate scientific fact as real information instead of disinformation, the better we can be about sort of communicating on these online platforms. Anyway, soapbox down. Uh, I want to open it one more time, Barry. Any other closing thoughts on that one? Yes, we need we need to do a podcast on this because yes. I think it's really interesting because the, there is an element here of of one around, I completely agree with you on the scientific fact bit, but, all, but on the other bit around what it is that people, the algorithms only work because we know, or the algorithms know that that's what people want to see. So... You know, the people will, I mean, this is where the TikTok algorithm, I think, is really clever, where you get, um, you know, people talking about what they're, what, you know, what type of TikTok are, are they seeing? Because it is constantly evolving to give you the sort of content that you're watching. So, you know, you, we, we kind of get what we ask for to a certain extent. 
uh, to quite quite a large extent on, on on a lot of platforms. So I think there is an element we we perhaps give give ourselves a lot more credit um, that we think that everybody's very nice and stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think some it, there there is an element of we we get what we pay for. Anyway, we should really move on. Yeah, we should. I should have put that one last. <laughs> All right. This next one here is, aside from gaining research experience, what can I do to prepare for PhD programs? This is by A Wagon on Human Factors subreddit, which we always love to see. They say, hi, everyone. I'm a mechanical engineering student. I really decided, I recently decided that I want to go to grad school for human factors. I have two years left in undergrad, but until I learned about human factors, I was convinced that I would go into the industry right after graduation. Thus, while I have a significant amount of industry experience, I feel super far behind on preparing for grad school. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What can I do to prepare myself for applying to PhD programs and working in a research environment in general, planning to join a lab, but are there other things that I should do or consider? So Barry, what can they do to consider uh, preparing for grad school? I think if you're going to apply to PhD stuff, um, just from my own experience, please just do it as soon as you can. Um, don't do what I've done, which is try and think, oh, I'll do, I'll, you know, I didn't even think about doing a PhD after um, my in initial degree or anything like that. I was just straight into, straight into work, straight into industry. Um, now I've had a go at doing a PhD once and had to pause it because um, work life gets in the way, all that sort of stuff. So if you've got a chance of doing it early, crack on and do it because you won't get a better time i don't think than to do it and to dedicate time to it um in terms of working in a lab environment well i don't know that i don't if only i knew of a digital media lab that, that worked in human factors um and was it was a great way of meeting people then um then maybe then maybe i would go and join that but i i, I, I can't think of anything else <laughs> Is, is this always going to be perpetually an advertisement for the lab? Uh, yes. So, look, there's a couple of <laughs> things that you can do that will really help you out here. One, understand the process for each institution that you are looking to apply to, because it can be different for every single place. Uh, and have a spreadsheet of that process. Make sure that you have marked down what state that you're at along the way at every point, right? That is one easy, really high return thing that you can do is understanding the process at each place, understanding what you need to do by when, when the deadlines are, assuming you're applying to multiple places. Uh, the other things that you can do, well, inform yourself on human factors, right? I mean, that is kind of the big thing. You've discovered the field and that's awesome. I'm super happy for you. We love the field too. That's why we're here. Learn more about it as much as you can. Come into that thing as prepared as you can be. Uh, and the third thing I would offer for advice is to really research the faculty that you are hoping to work with. Um, I think the faculty relationship that you will have with your mentor is a huge thing that often, I don't want to say it often goes overlooked, but um, I think it is a, is a critically important aspect to your success. If you have a good relationship with somebody or you guys agree on a lot of things and they can teach you in ways that you never thought that you could be taught, then you are going to have a more successful outlook. So I don't know, do your research. Is that is that too uh, on the nose for the last question? No, spot on, I think. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this last one. Uh, struggling with scope creep. This one is by Trick Prompt 5613 on the UX Research subreddit. Hi, all. I'm a UX researcher working with a very ambitious product exec. They're really excited to have me join their product team and conduct user research. 
However, what was supposed to be conducting usability testing with 10 participants has turned into me conducting user interviews or using t user testing, product requirement gatherings with as many users as we can get. They're thinking like 20 plus in the same time span we originally agreed upon. Additionally, I typically run usability testing one-to-one, -one, share the recordings and present findings. However, this exec wants five other people to join each meeting. I'm worried about bias creeping in. I will do my best to expectation set, but find myself having trouble pushing back with someone who was above me at work. Any advice? Have you been in this situation before? Barry, this sounds familiar. Oh, does it ever? Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this is day whatever of being a human factors UX person. This, this is bread and butter. Um, no, great that you've got loads of um, buy-in and, and they really want to use research. That, that's awesome. Um, the bit about having wanting to double the number of, of participants, that's fine as long as they've also come up with the time machine with which to do it. Um, if you've already planned for doing 10 and we know how long, you know, you've, you've made your assumptions, you've done your planning, you know that you can do 10, 10 people in the time. There is literally not enough hours in the day to do 20 or to do them to the, to the quality that you've already specified. Um, so you, you need to go back and explain that. Um, you can do 20 if they give you twice as much time or they give you twice as much resource or whatever it is. Um, if you, in terms of the usability testing, if you usually you usually run them one to one, um, I've got no other. I've got no real problem with other people wanting to join the the usability testing as such, as long as you can set the ground rules. It's your usability testing. If they are coming to observe, that's fine. Um, if they want to be part of the engagement, that's fine. But it's pre-planned and it's rehearsed. If they just think they're going to go in there and, and as you've sort of alluded to, jump in and and come up with stuff, they're not in the room. Um, it is your um, engagement, and you you know that's what you're employed for. That that you have the um, hopefully the authority and the respect to be able to to do that. Um, if you get across that and they still want to do it in another way, well, you've done the best you can. Um, we've sort of said before, you know, pick your battles. Um, some, uh, may, you know, what is, what is critical to, to you in getting the job done? If you have five people interrupting the user, um, uh, you, the, 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 the usability testing, is that a really a disaster as opposed, you know, as opposed to making sure that you only, only do the 10 participants, it's kind of up to you. Um, but unfortunately I'd like to say that this only happens very rarely, but it, it is, it is the constant battle you have with, um, with trying to run any sort of research program. Nick, what do you think? Are you any different advice? Not really. The you know you you will uh, occasionally run into these situations where somebody else organizes the research and you're just kind of there, or people hijack your meeting for other motives. I think the best thing that you can do is expectation set and say, "Hey, look, I'm going to give you all an opportunity to ask questions, but you need to let me do my job here and do this thing up front, so that way we get what we need out of this thing." Uh, there's definitely sort of the, the benefit to ex education does not equal action, right? We know that. But explaining things in a way that's easily digestible to the, this exec might, you know, you might be like, hey, we agreed on 10 participants. Let me tell you, I need to spend X amount of hours preparing for each interview. I need to spend X amount of hours analyzing each thing. I need to spend X amount of hours actually engaging with and setting up time, you know, all this stuff. Explain the time commitments and really push back and say, look, I can do 10. I cannot do 20. Um, and if we start in including more people into it, it's going to degrade the quality of data because we have 
XYZ. You know, I think if you sit down and explain it to them, hopefully they'll be receptive, especially if there's buy in, which it seems like there is. I don't know, just something to consider. Mm-hmm. All right. It's time for one more thing. It's just the part of the show where we talk about one more thing. Barry, what's your one more thing this week? I'm going to do a two for it's been a while since I've done no. two for. Okay. Um, two more the third thing was um, I did my first executive meeting as president elect this today. It was very exciting. That was all. That was cool. Uh, but no, the, the real thing I wanted to mention was I've I decided to. It's not often I get the time to pick up new books, a new book on 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 methodology. So I picked up one on black box thinking, which I thought was very cool. But then when I was looking at it on Amazon, um, other purchasing platforms are available, um, and. The guy who wrote this one on black box thinking has also written like five other books on very, very similar, uh, very similar things, which has led me to buying all of the books as one package. I'm holding up now one, two, three, four, five different books by the same, same author. Looking at black box thinking, looking at um, where sport teaches us about achieving success, um, about rebel ideas, and about bounds the the myth of talent and the power of practice and so where i was going to buy one book i've now got five books to read um in the next sort of week so and i'm actually quite excited about doing so i'm happy for you i i've been trying to get back into the book reading myself um you can see i have two over my shoulders because it's only one month uh and so (laughs) i try to get into that too but my one more thing this week is we're on tiktok i mentioned earlier it's an interesting experience uh from putting stuff up there the first from their perspective, I see what they're doing. They're boosting the first couple of videos that you have to boost uh, others uh, to, to, you know, kind of promote yourself to other people as kind of the hook. You get so many views on it and you go, oh, this is great. Uh, and then it drops down. It's sneaky. It's predatory. Um, and I don't like to practice, but please go follow us. That's that's it. Uh, anyway, that's going to be it for today, everyone. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion about robots in our lives, I'll encourage you to go listen to episode 217, where we talk about the Tesla bots, how they might be able to improve your life. Uh, comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Discord community. You can visit our official website. Like I mentioned, sign up for our newsletter. Stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. One, wherever you're at right now, leave us a five-star review. That's free for you to do. It really helps us out. Two, you can always tell your friends about us. If you have like-minded Human Factors UXE friends that love this type of stuff, let them know. And three, if you have the financial means, you can always support us on Patreon. As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk where to get a burger prepared by a robot? You can find me across all social media, but specifically at uh, Twitter on uh, Basil underscore K. I'll c- come and hit up some of my interviews when I actually get some new ones published at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. depends. Oh, show. We did it. Bang on time. That was that was that was perfect. Wow. Yeah. I might have to do some choppy chop, but that was really close. (laughs) I mean, well, you you were within 30 seconds, I would have thought. Yeah, I think I was very close. Very close. Uh, Yeah. If you hey, if you're watching live, stick around. We're going to do a post show here. Um, I actually think, Barry, is this the week that we're going to record the. The recap? Are you good for that? I forgot to mention that before. I was say, we can either do that this week or we can do it in a one or next week. Yeah. Um, next week would get real dicey, I think. Um, 
just because I want to be a little prepared here. Let's see here. Uh, let me see what we have, uh, because I know we had talked about notes. We started doing some notes. Uh, yeah, we did some notes, some ish notes. Oh. What was it called? I, we were going to do half. Yeah, yeah we're going to do half, half, weren't we? So I'm, I'm happy either way. Uh, to be honest. Well, I think what we were going to do is kind of the the thirty minute. Uh, I, I don't even think it'll take thirty minutes. Maybe this will be twenty minutes uh, of us just chatting, and then from there uh, we can dice up the interviews that you got. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think with that, then let me. Uh, I, I have this up. Do you do you have the notes? I don't have the. I, why can't I find the? Can I you just chuck find the notes? Yeah, I can. I can chuck it in in our our chat for you. Um, if you're sticking around, this is this is a such a treat for you. You get a two for tonight. You get conference coverage and a regular episode. Um, as if Barry and myself are not tired enough to talk through <laughs> another. <laughs> 20 minutes although we usually do a post show so that's good uh there is the document for you sir um it is ehf yeah cool um so let me just uh yeah i'm gonna introduce you as president-elect oh dude (laughs) my head will be so big so inflated all right uh let's see here okay so i think i think we're good on my end this will take what 20 minutes or so i do you want to throw in some notes there um um... all right so you know what while you're taking notes i am just going to quickly recap uh algorithms are bs and um (laughs) i really hate the way that platforms work because it it really is driven on that outrage and engagement piece and uh i'm sorry that soapbox was so big when i was standing on it but really <laughs> like this is where uh, I, I you know this is where legislation can step in and say look like we got a y- y- regulation of algorithms because that can be very dangerous when they're built in the wrong way especially when you consider things like racial bias in um algorithms and really if I don't know. I feel like some of these groups that we're talking about and some of these platforms are militant and it's scary. Um, I don't know if you're watching live, what do you think? (laughs) I'm curious to see what others think of this Uh, can be quite the adventure. Um, so while we're waiting for Barry to type up his notes, uh, this is going to be on ergonomics and human factors, uh, conference. That's it. Ergonomics and human factors conference It's put on by the chartered Institute of, I always get it wrong. Ergonomics and human factors. C I E H F. Yeah. Chartered, (laughs) chartered Institute Uh, of ergonomics and human factors. And so this is a, uh, conference that Barry went to was it last month already it was already last month I can't believe that oh, it was because yeah because it's now it's now May isn't it it is I'm May yeah um right I think I've got enough um to be able to walk about or sorry to okay. give in depth discourse um um on the right there we have the um 
Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I am good. You're good. All right. So uh, we're, this is going to be a little odd because we're killing the music in the post show here. Um, but we're going to kill the music here and we're going to say. Um, do you not need to come out of. Can you just go straight to a record again? Or do you need to come out of it and do I another. I'm, go- I'm good. I'm good. We don't okay. need to come out and go back in. I could just chop this up later. Um, check you and your skills. Look at those skills. All right. So here's what we're going to do we're going to call this EHF. 2022 bonus uh, coverage. What shoot? What have we used in the past? Remember, I don't think you've. I don't think recap. Maybe I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's fine. So we'll just add this little. Oh no, where'd it go? EHF 2022. Yes, I could have waited to kill the music until we were actually ready. <laughs> yeah, because we you killed the um. What's the, the vibe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, deepfakes are nearly really freaky as well. Um, yeah, that's that's a whole separate conversation. Uh, disinformation, deepfakes, and uh, disinformation is something I'm really interested in, and actually, I'm hoping to get into a bit of work. So I'm trying to weave that into some of the climate stuff that we're doing as well. Um, so maybe that's something that. we could talk about in the lab or something. Yeah, know. let's do it. Uh, all right, so. This is going to be weird because there's going to be another intro. It's just a way for me to flag where it's at. So we'll play the intro and then I will do a intro again. Um, and in fact, it is not September 18th that we're recording this on. Uh, it's 12th of May. Yeah, 12th of May. Or do you just want to say in May? Because oh, we're going to do, yeah, we're going to do this and then we're just going to hack stuff together onto it. Yeah, we're recording this part of the conversation. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's fine. All right. Hey, we're going to be right back. Uh, with when with uh, this thing. <laughs> oh wait, no, whoops, wrong button. <laughs> Somet- sometimes we get little treats here on the show. All right, here we go. Hi, patrons. Nick from the future here. Uh, yeah, you'll get this full thing, but then you'll get it again in a couple weeks here when we drop it again. So sorry about the duplicate, but at least you get it early. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special conference bonus episode of Human Factors Cast. It feels like it's been a little bit since we've done one of these. We're recording this live on May 12th. This is 2022. I'm your host, Nick Rome. And on this episode, we're recapping EHF, Ergonomics and Human Factors Conference 2022, with somebody who's a regular guest of the show. But today he's going to be on in a little bit different of a capacity. Mr. Barry Kirby, president-elect of CIEHF, the Chartered Institute of ergonomics and human factors barry welcome back to the show it feels weird to welcome you in a different capacity so hi hi great to be here great to have you barry can i get your general thoughts on ehf before we dig into everything yeah absolutely i mean ergonomics and human factors 2022 was was brilliant quite frankly it was a, a test of so many different things um you know having 
that hybrid of a of a live and a virtual event of having just basically getting back together as a as, as a community um and being able to to talk to be able to have a glass of wine to be able to chew over the paper you just listened to and from a very personal perspective it was certainly the live element was the first time um i've been to the conference it was my first time of meeting people as president-elect and so i looked at it through i, I think through very different eyes um, of being able to see what works, what doesn't, what what were people liking, um, and to almost take almost take that usability view, um, that that research view of of is it delivering what we want to deliver? So yeah, it was a very new and very interesting experience for me. So I, I realized we kind of jumped the shark here. What what is EHF? Like, let's talk about what it actually is a little bit. Can you explain what the uh, conference is about? Yeah, so Ergonomics and Human Factors is organized by the Chartered Institute, the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors here in the UK. It is the the, the, the flagship um, conference for, uh, for the Chartered Institute. It is an international conference. Historically, it's always been over um, three, four days um, based in different parts of, of, of the UK. Um, it's been that one place where people can people can uh, come to and there's normally um as, as i guess any typical conference has it has the, the streams on different um human factor subjects ranging through from defense all the way through to um health and, and and that type of thing so from that perspective it's normally very typical what you'd expect what i do like about um ehf um is it normally has a really good um social side to it as well so when in before the pandemic, there would all, always be a um, uh, two nights of entertainment. The first night was normally some sort of quiz or an event, uh, which Tina Worthy, who's um, one of the uh, one of the one of the staff at the um, at the conference, and we'll be hearing a, a little bit from her later on. Um, she normally does does this sort of quiz, but then they have done other things as well. Which, uh, which there was like a um, a murder mystery dinner night where where um, on one of one of the previous ones where I got to take part, and I was one of the one of the actors in uh, in that, which was a, a very different thing. And normally, the the second night has always been the the conference dinner, uh, which has always been a, a nice opportunity to get on your get on your your, your best clothes and um, and have some have some nice food and some some nice conversation. So it's always had that real good balance between um, doing the learning stuff during the day and doing the um, the the social the interacting stuff, not only in the coffee breaks but in the evenings as well. Yeah, we call that drinking after hours networking. Uh, that is what we call it. <laughs> so I want to I want to talk a little bit about the venue, right? Because in the past, we well in the last couple of years, we had this pandemic that we all kind of lived through, um, which very traumatizing in a lot of ways. What has it been like? Uh, you mentioned kind of these um, sort of get-togethers, these gatherings. What has the venue itself been like? The structure in in the physical capacity, but then. How did it adapt over the sort of pandemic phase? Yeah, so historic, so historically pre-pandemic, it was normally always a physical conference. So, and I guess here in terms of organisation, it's it's quite generic in that respect. They there was norm it would go through either different hotels or different co conference suites. So physically, it was in that sort of very generic uh, where you know wherever we were going to going to have it at that time. Um, consisting of, you know, you'd have your keynotes, it would have your, um, then break out to your streams, um, and, and consist of either lectures, workshops, that type of stuff. So I think I wouldn't be, I'm, I don't think I'm doing anybody disservice by saying it would be a, a, quite a traditional 
conference, um, obviously with the associated bar and and all that sort of stuff in for for um, evenings. During the pandemic, it really stepped up its game now. And again, I think I I'd be not did not um, putting anybody's nose out of joy by saying, actually, I think the CIHF excelled uh, delivering the online conference when they did in the um, was it twenty twenty and then twenty twenty one. Um, 2020, they made the decision to go to a uh, virtual conference within, I think it was like a week or two weeks because the, the our conference was in, uh, is in April. And obviously we went into lockdown in sort of that March time. And so, or early April. And so they had to turn it around. They, we sort of, obviously we knew something was happening. We knew something was coming, but the, the CIHF team and the secretariat turned around that to be a virtual conference. So the, you had uh, one stream live but also with the chat facilities and all that sort of stuff um and they still ran that, that over two days and they did that in um 2019 uh, sorry 2020 and 2021 to great effect the i think people stepped up their um their their game in terms of recording their papers and and doing you know being present in the chat um and realizing you can actually have that sort of chat and being able to we we had better attendance at that than than anything else because I think people could attend from all around the world, and and did so, um, and so that was really really effective, um, and then this year was um, really good as well because we took a review of saying right well what worked well during the pandemic what did we like what was it missing what what did we like about what was happening before, and we basically did them both, uh, which was fantastic. So we. Um, this year we had the two the two themes. We had a virtual um, session, and then we had the the in person session separated by a couple of weeks. So you didn't feel like you were having to go bang 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 and take a whole lot of time out. Um, but we did the virtual session, and that for me was was fantastic. So the the first session um, on the first day um, was dedicated to sustainability, which um, anybody who's um, listen to anything that I've been talk, talking about uh, recently. I've been very much into the whole climate thing, the whole climate ergonomics piece that we've been driving. And we got um, the ability to, to, uh, to do the opening interview, the opening keynote, um, those couple of papers that, that me and my team were delivering, as well as have, have a, a really good panel session. But what was really neat about that panel session, about that, in, that entire session, is the chair was chairing it from Australia, one of the key you know, speakers that we had as part of it was coming from South Africa. And then, you know, three of us were coming from Wales here in the UK. And it was just seamless. It just worked. And then people were, were, were commenting in, in the chat and asking questions from literally around the world. So you wouldn't have been able to get that sort of accessibility um, by doing it live. You wouldn't be able to get that sort of interaction by doing it live. But what it did miss was that ability to have you know, the 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 corridor conversations, the coffee conversations, the in the bar, the conversations. Um, and just generally that, the more fun aspects, the more, you know, the, the we, we sort of say network, they're the generally just having a laugh with people, um, which we've so sorely needed over the, over the past few years. Um, and so we did, we did a whole load of that um, in the in the live session. So we only, it was only two days. I went down on the, the night before. And so were I, I had grand plans of going down the night before and have, having some food and get, getting an early night because so i said this was my first time as president-elect i didn't want to uh, to disgrace myself or anything like that um i still didn't go to bed until about one o'clock in the morning um so it was just so nice to be able to see people and talk to people um 
but having that that live event, then the, then the second night we had the um, we had the dinner, um, which was again nice just to be able to sit sit and chat to people. But during the sessions themselves, we had packed sessions. We had three streams um, of uh, bo- on both days, and and they were packed uh, with both live presentations. And there was some uh, we had because we people were now so used to. Uh, recording their presentations we had backup presentations so there was a few people who dropped out right at the last minute because of covid and other reasons and we were able to say rather than having to really juggle around with the uh, with the schedule we're like well we've got your we've got your video here we can just play that and it works and it's brilliant so we learned a lot and it was really neat um rather than having a quiz this time we had a magician magician gonna ask yeah i saw i saw magician in the notes i was waiting for it i was like you haven't talked about the magician so instead of yeah, so normally like said, like I said, uh, Tina would normally do a quiz um, in, in the past, but we had a magician, and the the guy was really good. I um, who did it, and he did some really really quite quite impressive stuff. Though we did spend um, most of the session trying to most of the dinner trying to work out how we did what he did, and probably worked out ninety percent of it um, fairly quickly. Um, but when he was trying to tell jokes and stuff like that um he would also then say so what is this human factor and so human factors he would get a massive cheer for or all this other stuff he wouldn't so then he would just randomly turn around and just say human factors and get a big cheer from the room and um he didn't he's one of these things he didn't know quite why he was getting a cheer but he knew he was getting a cheer and so that so that worked quite well so it, but again it was just interesting to just to have um, a, a different bunch of entertainment the the other bit that worked really well with this whole hybrid uh, live virtual bit is Normally they would have the AGM as part of the part of the live conference. Um, in during the pandemic, obviously you couldn't do that, so we had a virtual AGM. We had more people attend the AGM than we ever have done because it was easy just to dip into and and and, and go to, and anybody could access it. You didn't have to be going to the conference, and so that's what we've done. Well, that's what we've done. We've kept the AGM virtual, um, which meant really, that, that really quick. Just for those who don't know, AGM. As your, yeah, sorry, the AGM is your annual general meeting where all your officers and um, your your representatives, the people who you trust ease and all that sort of thing, they're all elected um, or confirmed and, and their elections are, are, are confirmed. So you know who your your president is going to be, your president-elect, which is me, um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So I, we knew before going into the live bit of the conference that um, that what, what the positions were going to be because it also meant that we could actually have a um, – um, a first sort of exec meeting there as well, a, f- a first um, um, meeting at the live conference, which was also incredibly useful. So yeah, I th- there was a lot. I think we've learned. There was a lot of stuff that I think we've got. We did get really right this time. I, we can improve. We can definitely can because I think you always can. But I think as a as a first event coming out of COVID, I think the team um, did a fantastic job, and it. Going back to that idea about this was my first time of looking at this from a president-elect perspective, I guess it first, it really made me appreciate just how much work and effort goes into doing a conference, which I perhaps hadn't appreciated before. So you've got the entire staff team, of which the CIHF has quite a small staff team compared to with the likes of HFES and, 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 and others. Um, there's a small number of people doing an awful lot of work, and they just make magic happen in the background. Um, and it's amazing. Then you've got the, the, the conference secretary at themselves who normally are volunteers and, and that type of thing. Again, being really cool, just making sure everything flows and just making sure everything is brilliant. Then you've got the, you know, the, the, um, the conference team who puts all the papers together and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so many people have put in so much um, effort to make something look seamless um, and flawless. Um, it, I, it just, I just find it stunning. 
yeah, um, it, that come together. It really is one of those things where you realize just how many, or how few, I should say, how few people are actually involved in the conference right. prep in a lot of cases. And it really just pulls the whole thing together. And yeah, it's kind of really interesting to look at that sometimes because you're like, how are you doing all this? Uh, what kind of, what, are you the magician? Anyway, so <laughs> let's get into uh, sort of your experience with the thing, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about the venue. We talked about what it is. I think I want to hear some of the kind of key takeaways that you have. Like, what did you find interesting? What are some key themes that you heard about, watched, listened to, participated in, et cetera? So one of the things that happened right from the start of the live conference, uh, which was the new president, um, Alex Deadman, he encouraged us all to go and engage in a theme that we're not used to, that outside of our comfort zone, which I, you know, people say that and yeah, yeah. but this time I was like, you know what, I'm going to. Um, and so most of my background is in defense and technology and tools and methods and, you know, that, that type of thing, um, aviation. So I spent quite a lot of my time in health and the there's sort of two, a theme around well-being and a theme around health. And I spent quite a lot of time in them, um, which was fascinating. And there was some really good discussion. So particularly in the, in the live bit, there was some really good inter interesting discussions around the applications of different methods, such as safety one and safety two. And there was real good discussion about why one, why some people thought one was better than the other and how, and, and how the evidence base had come out, how they, how they're trying to develop different ways of patients being able to engage with the, um, uh, with, with, with staff and with, like with, with the medical uh, professionals and give them better awareness about when things were maybe going wrong and how they could input and things like that. And it really gave me a, a different perspective on how I see the health industry, um, particularly when you go like to a doctor's or you go to hospital, the, your experience. So I'd actually gone um, the week after or the week or so after the, the conference and, and went to get some blood tests. And it was because of some of the discussions that were going on in the health thing that made me really think about the usability of of a hospital from the moment you walk in the door, um, and some of that some of that stuff. So that was that was really really fascinating. The other bit that was really good is we had a a, a keynote from um, the Ministry uh, of Transport around where they'd done some experimentation and some ideas about how to get better messaging across. Uh, for the um, for wearing you know face masks and things during COVID about being uh, more respectful around um, other people and and your behaviour and and they'd done a whole bunch of different things about looking at different ways of of projecting influence. Um, so do do you put a positive message? So like if you if you wear a mask, you could be saving your neighbour, or a negative message, or a, a more stern message around you should be wearing a mask or you'll be fined type of thing. And so just look at different ways of influencing. But what was fan, uh, fantastic and fascinating was the the amount of people because they were doing it with with basically people who were out there, um, they could have massive participation numbers. I mean, you're talking about um, N being, so the number of particip participants being like tens and hundreds of thousands of people um, rather That's than just insane. like 10. Yeah. Um, and so they could really drive out some really good science out of out of what they've been doing and really um, influence, um, ironically, influence how we do things and, and how we do some of that message. So 
them sort of th- them sort of things were fascinating. Um, there was the uh, automation is obviously a big thing, and we we had one of the to- uh, well quite a few different talks around automation, not only around the obvious of cars and things like that, but also um, exoskeletons and and things like that. And we actually had a live demo of, of some exoskeletons, uh, which was which was great, and you could go and have a have a play with them. In terms of talks, uh, the the one that really there were some really really fascinating ones, and you could, what I like about this conference is it's it's really there for people if you if you're giving your first conference talk it's a really safe space to do it um you know everybody's really friendly you might get some tough questions but they're not unfair questions um you you know it, it's a really nice place to but also there's some people who can stand up and really give some breadth of experience of of what they've been to um and the one that did it for me um here i mean it, I also had the uh, the privilege of introducing it was was Susie Broadbent. Now Susie's somebody who's worked in the human factors domain, uh, primarily in defence uh, for a number of years, which is why I, I know her. Um, but she gave the annual institute lecture, and really she gave it around you know why fundamentally why do we need human factors? What's what's human factors all about uh, from from her perspective, and and she come at this from a really practical perspective, so. When we're trying to, you know, highlighting the fact that we'd love to be able to do, you know, our methods properly, and you know, in, particularly in the defence world, you know, you'd love high uh, participant numbers. You'd like to get a properly, um, uh, beautifully crafted methodology on how you're going to engage around whatever the topic is. Um, but sometimes it's just not practical. Sometimes you just can't do it. And do you just get down and dirty with what you've got, um, or do you uh, just call the whole thing off? Well, obviously, you'd never call the whole thing off. You make do with what you've got, and you you try and make the best of, of every situation. But it's not often you get somebody who's willing to stand up and say that. And and it did cause quite nicely a bit of um, almost controversy afterwards. So I'm, I'm the one there who's chairing the session to have to handle the questions. And you immediately Ooh. got some of that academic thing saying, well, I don't I, – I think it's almost irresponsible people standing up and saying that, um, that you shouldn't t- take into account, um, you know, proper academic methods. Uh, so proper methods and stuff, and, and I was like, well, and Susie quite rightly stood up for herself and said, that's not what I was saying. Um, you know, if you can do the proper methods, you absolutely should because that's what they're there for and, and, and they're good. But you quite often, the grand scheme of things, you can't. Um, and so part of what we're trying to do, is, you know, as, as human factors practitioners, is, is tailor what we're doing um, as best we possibly can. Um, but the entire talk were, was fascinating, and she's gone on now to be a to um work in a, in 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 a slightly different domain where she's actually an investigator and using them skills uh going forward as well so it was really interesting to see where where she was going going next um but also bringing in some of them them key experiences from her um um from her experience and, and her career but just that bringing together of academic and professional was real you could almost see it was really valuable for the new people, the people who are either students or um, new into the profession. Thing going, okay, that that's that's the way that real life works. I like that, but also for some of us who've been around for maybe slightly longer, going, yeah, I'm pleased somebody's had you know the ability to go and go get up and say that because quite often we all we all know it, but we don't often say it. So, um, yeah. So then, then for me, I mean, the in terms of big moments, um, you know, what 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 am I going to take away? I mean, for, firstly, it was an incredible experience being, you know, having that uh, that thing as a president elect. Um, that was that was seeing it through new eyes. That that was fantastic. Being live, 
um, was just brilliant. This time, you know, we I so didn't take it for granted this time. Uh, it was very much of the that that whole piece around doing some really cool stuff, um, really talking to people and, and engaging. Love that. Love the ability in the virtual sessions to be promote to promoting the sustainability bit. Um, that is something I think all of us are taking a lot a lot more seriously. So talking to um, people who worked in this field a lot, like the the likes of like Andrew Thatcher and um, and people like that, and hopefully building some bridges there, which which I think is really good. Um, but one of the things I did quite like as a, as a, as a thing was I, was I did one of the um, the wrap up talks at the end to wrap up the conference and send people on their merry way, and it was just. One of the comments I made, which I think is so true, is during the pandemic, we could have all just sat at home. And in fact, talk, you, you listen to some um, um, communities and you think that everybody did just sit at home and do nothing. But, you know, everybody could have sat at home and do nothing and nobody would have, nobody thought any different, nobody would blame them. But all the papers, all the research that had gone on was all reflecting on things that happened through COVID-19, be, be it in like running airlines or, be, you know, working in the health industry or whatever it was. So clearly people have been thinking, people have been doing their research, people hadn't turned around and said, oh, we'll just take two years off. People have got some really solid stuff. So we've got some really solid learning out of the out of COVID-19 um, to then take forward and, and do bigger and better things with everybody took that opportunity. And I just thought that that was amazing. So to have that honor of being able to wrap up and and reflect on, on some of them things was, was just a distinct honor. So yeah, I... Um, there was so much more that went on as well, but I think we've probably covered all the uh, the high high points. <laughs> the high high points. Any other key takeaways that you took away from this conference that you will take with you in the future, going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think this whole live virtual thing is is a revelation. It sounds obvious now because we've all been living it, but that whole being optimize, being able to optimize for both and do both, I'm still not entirely convinced on on hybrid. Um, which we, I know we, we different episodes we've, we've talked about that in the past. I'll um, get you there. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, but this whole being able to do, you know, get the, you know, do the virtual bit and really, really use that virtual bit to the to its maximum extent, and then do the live and do, and really make the most of that live bit as well, and and really squeeze both um, both methods for for all you can get um, is just uh, absolute genius. And uh, we just we can keep on honing it, and we can keep we can then also teach other people what we've done in our lessons, and hopefully other people will, will be able to get the best of it as well. But um, that and the the people behind it who make that happen, uh, make it all happen, and make it all just happen like it's just um, you know it's like just pixie dust in the background is, um, is brilliant. All right, Barry. Well, we've heard from you. Now let's go hear from some folks who went to the conference. I understand you brought us a prepared clip. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll have, um, there's a couple of clips and a different number of people you'll, you'll hear from, from um, including people who are organizing it, people who are part of the secretariat, some of the people who were um, session chairs, and just some people who just attended. All right. Well, here they are. And that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you think of our coverage. You can hang out with us on our Slack or Discord. I'm going to redo that because we don't have a Slack. <laughs> right. 
That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you think of our coverage. You can hang out with us on our Discord or get to us on any of our social channels. You can always visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. If you liked Barry's recap of the conference, you can always tell your friends about us or the conference. Get them involved. Or if you have the financial means to do so, please consider supporting us on Patreon. As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Special thank you to everyone who called in for their contributions and being on the show today. We've uh, provided a few links in the description of this episode so you can find out more information about the conference. Speaking of which, Barry, where can our listeners go find out more about EHF? So you can find out more about the Ergonomics and Human Factors Conference at ergonomics.org.uk. Oh, just go to... That's all right. That's fine. And where can our listeners find you? And you can find me on across all socials, but also specifically on Twitter, Baz underscore K, or go and listen to my podcast at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Barry, you know the drill. I certainly do. It depends. It depends. All right. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us tonight uh, as we did two shows in one. Um, we'll be back next week with the, our last show, and then we'll present this thing again packaged up as a thing. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, appreciate y'all tuning in live uh, until then bye bye, bye, -bye. <laughs>